0: Yeah Welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where the more things change, the more things stay the same. Because when one Russell goes out, another Russell walks in. Lakers reloaded? More like Lakers deloaded. Lakers re-deloaded. And well, from there, the Russ is history oh yeah and lebron james also made history congratulations to lebron james your all-time leading scorer in the nba but who cares because we got devon reed i am your host jonathan hernandez and i'm joined by my co-host tommy alexander just a half hour past the nba trade deadline 2023 nba trade deadline that will live in infamy for the amount of second rounders that went out And Tommy, I say this with the utmost sincerity, but it, my friend, is lit! How you doing?
1: It's lit!
0: Yes, it is is lit. Uh, Okay, let me try and collect myself. Oh shit, hold on. (laughs) Let me make sure I got my stuff in order. Okay, we are still recording. Today has been a haze. Uh... Okay, outside of lit, Tommy, have you been able to process things yet just a half hour out of the NBA trade deadline? Just a massive, inconceivable masterclass by Rob Palenka. I don't think I've ever seen him fire from the hip in this fashion, in the most efficient way, with such volume. And and this in the backdrop of Kevin Durant being a son, Jakob Pertl being back with the Raptors, The Warriors trading James Wiseman for five seconds and getting Gary Payton back. It's just been pure insanity.
1: So how are you handling it all right now? Um, It is. It's definitely pure insanity. I feel like all I've been able to think about is how the Lakers have improved. But honestly, a lot of teams got better. I mean, some teams just did some weird things, but I I don't know. A lot of teams got better, I think, um, at this deadline. So it's been a lot to process. I think it's interesting because we've talked about loosely like so many of these players that we were sort of floating, you know, either in discussions with or actually ended up consummating trades for over the last day. And it just, I don't think either of us expected we would make this many moves. And so that's Mm -hmm. been like, that's made it like super, super exciting. I mean, if you think about it, so we had like Russ, Pat Bev, Damian Jones, Toscano Anderson, Thomas Bryant. That's five guys. Who else am I missing?
0: That is the five guys. And then we traded, obviously, prior to this week, Kendrick Nunn, three seconds. Uh, we uh, we right. traded the 2027 first top four protected. And then one second also went out with Pat Bev. So those are the
1: outs. So, yeah, it's just like worked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I'm looking at a KOC tweet right now. So we just have like, you know a third, more than a third, almost half of our roster like turned over at the deadline. And that doesn't even like count our waiver guy who we're inevitably going to sign, you know, once the waiver wire sort of settles. So it's just... I think it was a win on so many levels and I just can't believe we actually pull it off. I mean, if we pulled off one of these moves, I would have been like, okay, that's like not bad. You know what I mean? Like if we did the Pat Bev for Mo Bomba move, I would have been like, okay, you know, they tried something, they tried something different. They got a little more size. Like, let's see how it works out. But to do all these things and get all these different pieces that, I think kind of fit very interestingly together. I mean, Mo Bamba, who was sort of buried in Orlando, maybe giving him a look with Jared Vanderbilt off the bench, like to sort of give you rim protection with Bamba and also like a bigger wing defender in Vanderbilt and you don't lose any floor spacing because Bamba can space. I, I don't know. You just sort of see these interesting sort of potential implementations of of these lineups um and I'm just hoping that ham figures it out quickly because we, we don't have a lot of time to waste yeah here.
0: yeah dude so uh you sounds hired as hell by the way is that because of the sun or because of the trade deadline or because of both
1: um pr- mostly because of my son but <laughs> okay, um, trade deadline sorry. too
0: but at least the trade deadline was there as a friend to keep you company throughout the sleepless nights yeah, I, I barely slept at all, uh, just because of the the adrenaline pumping through my veins, or the ice in my veins now. Ayo. Um, <laughs> so, Ayo. Ayo. In in comes D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, randomly Davon Reed from the Denver Nuggets, three seconds, one of which probably got rerouted in the Patrick Beverly deal, and then to cap it all off, Mo Bamba. First, let's start here, Tommy. The Russell Westbrook experience is over. And we did not Ayo. think they'd be... Ayo, and we did not think they would be able to pull this off, that Rob would be able to pull this off. But I guess things just came to a head. Russ was becoming more and more grating on the locker room. The uh, McMenamin called him a bloodsucking vampire, whatever the hell that means. Um, but our worst nightmare is over. And the irony and the poetry of the Lakers trading the player that I hated the most in my 25 plus years of Lakers fanhood for one of my favorite young core Lakers players and the player who was sort of emblematic of the inception of this very podcast in D'Angelo Russell. (laughs) (laughs) this trip. <laughs> I just thought it was so perfect. It's like we went full circle with like a seasoned D'Angelo Russell who did his Goku thing on another planet and got a little bit better and more experienced. Granted, he's likely just a rental, but that doesn't take away from the fact that what a way to come back as a Laker, given the fact that his last shot as a Laker was a buzzer-beating game winner for his grandmother who died on that same day. There's just so much poetry involved here and, you know, I will say... Kudos to Russell Westbrook for this season actually buying into to an extent off the bench. He did legitimately help us win some games while AD was out, while LeBron James was out. But And I actually empathize with his position because I said from the get-go, what a weird, awkward context to put Russell Westbrook in that the front office has done here. Because... He's always gonna know throughout the season that at any one moment he could be shipped out. And he was shipped out. So it makes sense that, you know, like it would be it would be tense. So I I credit Russell Westbrook for buying in to an extent. Kudos to him because it looks like he has a bunch of suitors. I wish him the best. But honestly, it was always about the contract, what we could get for that contract, the politics involved with Every coach Russell Westbrook has been under just feeling the need to have to play him. And I'm just so glad that the politics are gone. I'm so glad Russell Westbrook's kind of thorny character is gone, at least to the media. Seems like a great guy off the court, obviously, and does a lot of stuff for the community. But I'm just so glad this nightmare is over because right what, <laughs> right or wrong, like I will always associate Russell Westbrook with now this is going to be fun part two in the worst possible way. So your thoughts on the Russell Westbrook experience being over as a fan and just, like, the re-emergence of freaking D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell, I feel like, is almost uh, simultaneous to our rise as a pod... People know us as the D'Angelo podcast. They're like, we've been with you guys since the D'Lo days. And I'm like, cool, you're an OG <laughs> Lakers Legacy podcast listener. But, like, just getting D'Angelo Russell back, and you, I guess you can bleed into... Your answer, just you know, hearing of you know the the Shams tweet or the Woj tweet that this deal was happening, but mainly the Russell Westbrook experience is over. The Russ's history in more ways than one. Russell Westbrook out the door, but also maybe D'Angelo Russell makes some history in his return.
1: Yeah, Russell Westbrook experiment being over at this point, I think is it's just such a relief. You know what I mean? I just think for everyone involved, right? I think this gets too pinned on like either side it feels like everybody feels like they need to take a position in this debate and maybe this maybe the real you know maybe the correct answer is this situation wasn't good for anyone involved it wasn't good for us it wasn't good for russ mm-hmm. you know let russ get paid the money he is entitled to be paid and let him go choose the team that you know he feels wants him that's fair for him and that's you know it's fair for us to move on and maximize the return we can get for him and I mean, on this note, like Rob Palenka, getting this kind of yield for Russell Westbrook in a top four protected first round pick is just insane to me. D'Angelo Russell, mm-hmm. I mean, he's a flawed player, but this guy is not the same guy that we traded, you know, however many years ago with, to dump Timothy Mozgov's salary. When you look at his highlights from this season, I mean, I was kind of shocked. I know you've been following him over the years and sort of his development, but... I didn't realize how fluid this guy's game is now. You know, he's like, and he's a huge point guard. He still has like some decent playmaking. I mean, you can't rely on him to be like, you know, playoff Rondo or whatever as like your playmaker, but he can give you some playmaking and his ability to like score the ball and shoot from the perimeter is like insane. I mean, if you look at his numbers, like one of the things I'm the most optimistic about is he's averaging the second lowest shot attempts of his career this season but he's still putting up like scoring numbers in line with his career because he's career high efficiency from both two and three so you know he's taking more than half of his shots from three he's hitting 39 percent. i mean it, you know i don't know people i think are focused on this trade where we got Delo back we got beasley back at like oh we didn't really get better defensively we certainly didn't get worse defensively and we Potentially unlocked, uh, you know, a side of our offense that we have not seen since we acquired LeBron and AD.
0: Yeah, and you know, if we take a step back and just look at the pivot that the front office has made, seemingly it's funny because all of the players that we traded for are either expiring, but we have their full bird rights, or they're non guaranteed, or we have a team option on them. Now, the cynic in me. Or the cynic in us would say, Oh, they still have left the door open for the cap space plan, right? But at this point, given the haul that they've amassed, screw the cap space plan. This is like <laughs> we're the our, our problem now, Tommy, is like we're too deep. Like, Tommy, we have an NBA team. This is a this is a team. We're too no, deep bro. now, dude.
1: Our team this is, is a too goddamn good. team. <laughs> I mean, look, the
0: West upgraded in a big way, including the Suns and the Mavericks. But in terms of like the context we were working with earlier, like I no, we made a
1: giant leap.
0: I can't fathom again the efficiency and the volume with which Rob Palenka was hoisting these three point shots. I e these trades was amazing. Um, to get back to your point about the the D'Angelo Russell thing, it's like, look, he could end up being just a rental, and I feel bad for D'Lo because. I think ever since he left the Lakers, he's almost like he's good enough to trade for and get something of value back, but he's not good enough for any one team to sort of fully commit to him. You know what I mean? He's almost like an NBA journeyman, um, but every stop along the way, he will provide his team with actual, you know, solid contributions on the court, and then he inevitably becomes like a good asset to pivot off of eventually. I'm not sure if the Lakers will do that, but they definitely have that option with D'Angelo Russell. So if you're if there are still any skeptics out there about what the Lakers have done in this trade deadline and are saying, well this doesn't move the needle for what we want to do, especially against a Kevin Durant-led Phoenix Suns, it's honestly less about this year, even though I think we're gonna make a charging run here towards the end. It's all about what we can do in the offseason. You know, we've set ourselves up so well. The flexibility we have to retain guys, not retain guys, to cobble up actual workable salary with players that teams could actually use, Tommy, which is the most important part. Like, our options are wide open this offseason. So whether we keep D'Angelo Russell into half of the season next season and then you know, trade him later, or we just keep him as a young core player along with these other guys. Like, I am feeling so good and satisfied about everything we've done. The fact that it's a top four protected 2017 pick, we still have our 2019 pick. Come this NBA draft day, we will have a our 2023 pick to trade, and that's going to be, at this point, what? We might not even have the pick swap, and we'd still get a number 17 to 20 first round pick in this draft. That's going to be valuable, you know? And now we have the salary ballast to actually use. And then also, okay, so I guess we can move into like the trade valuation standpoint of things and uh, what Rob Palenka did here. Um, so I also like the poetry of Rob Polinka, and you mentioned it earlier, of Rob Palenka using D'Angelo Russell back in 2017 to essentially erase Mitch Kupchak's biggest mistakes, which were the... Timothy Mozgov and Luau Dang signings. He attached D'Lo to offload Timofey Mozgov's contract. And that was his first major move as a GM. I know he made like a Wheel trade a couple months prior, but that offseason, using D'Angelo Russell to offload Timofey Mozgov and erase Mitch Kupchak's mistake was his first major move as a GM. And so for yep. him to now use a first to attach to Russell Westbrook to offload Westbrook and bring, and bring D'Angelo Russell back to erase his biggest mistake as a GM in the Russell Westbrook trade, to me is just perfect symmetry, perfect poetry. And moving into how Rob Palenka did and how you would grade him, Tommy, Um, this deal that the Lakers, this trade deadline that the Lakers pulled off, it kind of reminds me of the Cleveland Cavaliers' 2017-18 trade deadline. Yep. Um, right before LeBron James signed with the Lakers when David Griffin pretty much flipped half the roster and a lot of veterans, actually. So he flipped uh, Derrick Rose, Dwayne Wade, Isaiah Thomas, Jay Cratter, Channing Fry, and got back all these young upside dudes in Jordan Clarkson, Rodney Hood, Larry Nance. And we joked about this off-air a couple podcasts ago where we, was, we were like, this roster needs an entire overhaul, like a, at least 60% overhaul. Do we think Polinka is capable of doing something like this, of doing the David Griffin special? And we joked back then that there's no chance. He he, There's no way Rob Polinka can pull that off. He can barely pull off like a Rui Hachimura deal. And then he did that to start off the trade deadline. And seeing everything that he amassed, Tommy, I think Rob Polinka even outdid what David Griffin did uh, in that season. So just what are your thoughts on the trade valuation standpoint here where we gave up at most the 2027 first top four protected pick and a couple of seconds which we still got back because of the very shrewd Thomas Bryant trade yeah Uh, I can't say enough about what Rob Palenka did here and while I still think we were right to hammer him about how he approached the start of this season because I do still think that he should have done a deal in the offseason so that we'd be in a better position right now maybe we would be a top 4 seed to make all of the brilliant shrewd margin moves he did with all these second round picks this trade deadline um versus us you know scrambling and trying to make it into the play in but regardless i'm just glad that rob took some accountability for his mistakes for the for genie bus's mistakes and finally started to undo kind of the delayed delayed action that they went into this season with. You know what I mean? So yeah, just your thoughts on Rob Polinka and if you want to talk about the trade,
1: trade in and outs of it all. I mean, I I think most people so far who have sort of assessed what we've done here have <laughs> described I've seen multiple people, I should say, describe this as like a Rob Polinka masterclass the last two days. I mean, I will yeah. say, Rob, because Rob took so much heat he deserves the bulk of the credit here. However, I just want to say, you know, to the extent dynamics in the front office have changed with respect to, you know, some people have speculated, and maybe this is unfair to Rob because it's like maybe he just is turning it around, but some people have speculated that the Bus brothers are, like, getting more involved with, you know, these types of moves, and that started this past year in free agency, and so, you know, those guys clearly... Know what they're doing. At least they've shown that with with respect to scouting. So maybe that has helped. But I mean, we were not in a very strong position. You had like 95% of NBA Twitter telling you that the best you could hope for for a Russ and two first trade, you know, is like doug mcdermott and josh richardson you know what i mean and like yeah it it just felt like we were kind of dead in the water like it it never really felt like you know toronto you never kind of knew for sure that they were going to trade their guys and obviously in hindsight they ended up not doing it and the assets we had were of questionable value you know you sort of have pat bev but it's like he's had a down year and he's getting old like who wants him, you know? So it's like, there were so many questions that sort of made you feel like, you know, these guys probably are not going to get something done. And not only did they get multiple trades done, but they've put together a lineup. That's like, Oh, it makes a lot more sense on paper, you know, is younger, you know, is theoretically more hungry. It's, you know, better shooting and better spacing. And it's just a little more balanced overall adding guys like, You know, Bomba with his ability to protect the rim, you know, as opposed to Thomas Bryan, who was one of the worst defensive centers in the NBA this season, you know, yep. Vanderbilt, who gives you some like big wing size um, to go with, uh, you know, Rui, Rui, who you just got last week and you still have Troy and you know, maybe now Troy's having to play less like power forward in these like three guard lineups because like we actually have some bigger players now and you still saw Wendian floating back there, you know, Reed, I don't know a ton about, but you know, apparently he is known to play some defense. Um, and then of course you have the shooters with D'Angelo and Beasley. And, you know, the we shootings! talked about this, the we shooting. talked about this, you know, so many times earlier this season, dude, but One thing we used to always harp on and we used to talk about this in the context of the Indiana trade was that Lonnie Walker is definitely not a bad player. He's like an NBA caliber player and he would be really, really elite if he was like your sixth or seventh, you know, eighth, maybe best player. But he was our third best player at the time, you know what I mean, to start yeah. the season. And so now looking at this roster with all these moves we've made, I'm like, damn, is Lonnie actually down to like our seventh best player? You know, and it's like that kind of tells yeah. you the sort of talent overhaul that we've had. Um, and yeah, to get all of that done, only moving one first, I you know, just to kind of expand slightly on one thing you said with respect to our, our, our flexibility to make moves this offseason season. We have, there's two big inflection points when it comes to trades in the off season. The first one is going to be the draft, like the days leading into the draft and draft night. There are always mm-hmm. trades. And then beginning of free agency. There are usually some trades as teams sort of figure out their like free agency, you know, what they're going to do with restricted free agents and, and et cetera. But, you know... W- Going into this when we just had Russell Westbrook, we didn't really have a whole lot of options going into draft night. Yes, we had draft picks to trade, but we didn't really have salary. Now we have like tons of non-guaranteed salary that we can kind of decide on on draft night send to a team where, you know, they kind of can kind of take flyers. I mean, I don't need to go into the details, but you get the point. Like we have, we have the ability to make trades on that day. And on the first day of free agency, like if d doesn't work out, you're kind of in the driver's seat to like facil- facilitate a sign and trade for him. So it, they've given themselves a lot more options while also making their team this year, like infinitely better. So it's just like, it's a win on yeah. every level.
0: Yeah. And again, Credit and kudos to Rob Palinka. Uh, I still think we were right to, yeah, as I said, I, I still think the approach that they had going into this season was wrong in terms of bringing in that imbalanced roster to the start of the season, including Russell Westbrook, and, you know, not calculating, putting into account the fact that yeah, tensions were going to be high throughout the season, you know? Things would get murky, even chemistry-wise, and politics would rule the day. And I think they could have done something like this, Tommy, if they had just unprotected that first. Now, obviously, you like the top four protection, but would you have rather them... And this is like coulda, woulda, shoulda. I'm not trying to hammer Rob Polink. I'm just trying to say we're giving him the credit now, but seeing just the... Efficiency. I keep using efficiency. Seeing the efficiency with how, uh, with which he handled this trade deadline, he still could have pulled off all of these margin moves, and that's crazy that I'm talking about Rob Palenka in the same vein as margin moves, right? Because he killed it marginally. You know that Thomas Bryant for Devon Reed and getting three seconds back move was amazing. Getting Mo Bamba. For a second, that, like, it's crazy. So, but I mean, like, look, I think this, a similar sort of package, not this exact same package, was available in the summer. He just refused to give up the first or even unprotect the first. So for me, I would rather have given up an unprotected 2027 pick to get, sorry, I would, I would have rather given up an unprotected first 2027 pick because to me, there's not that much of a difference between top four and just it being an unprotected pick at that point. I would have given that up in the offseason, gotten back the depth, started the season off with an actual competent team, and been in a better place this trade deadline as a top four seed in the West, and then done all of these other ancillary moves versus we kind of just did everything now, and we're just going to have to hope and pray that the cohesion and continuity comes together really quick. Are you in the same sort of line of thinking as I am? Yes okay, great that that makes things very <laughs> simple, and we can take it to break now, and when we return, we'll just go through more of the specifics of everybody that we sort of brought in and acquired and talk more about their games and I love doing this uh segment, Tommy, where we talk about archetype comps for our players that we got in and how they would best fit into this current group. So we will talk more about the individual players when we get back and maybe even remark a little bit on the overall NBA trade deadline. So we will catch you guys after the turn. Hey folks, the Lit Times are back again. In honor of the Lakers massive trade deadline W, please celebrate with us by giving us a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app or the Spotify app. It is so easy. Look us up on Spotify, click our name, and at the top of the left-hand corner of our Spotify page, just hit that five-star dial and we are good to go. Ice in all of our veins and ready for the showtime. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. So we are back. Tommy, uh, I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on the trade deadline. This can be very short, but I think, you know, before all of this started, everybody was saying it's going to be a pretty quiet trade deadline. Um, There are more buyers than there are sellers And to some extent, that played out. But I think the Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Brooklyn Nets madness... Yeah, That was really the impetus. That was really the domino that opened up the floodgates of heaven. And then everybody went apeshit, Tommy. And I'm so <laughs> everybody glad Everybody went that... apeshit. <laughs> I, I am so glad <laughs> Rob Palenka decided to pull off the Rui Hachimura deal first. Because yeah, we were dude. able to get out ahead of like this second round pick madness. Because...
1: Oh my god, Rui would have cost six, first, six second rounders.
0: Seriously, dude. The, the value of the second round pick went haywire. And... It was like almost that Oprah meme, right? Where it's like, you get a second round pick. You get a second round pick. Everybody gets second round picks. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, it kind of makes sense to some respect, right? Because it's like three second rounders is the new first rounder or the new late first rounder. And, And at this point, you're probably better served to getting, you're probably better served to get like a, early second rounder in that number 31 to 40 range, then you are getting like a number 25 to 30 first round pick, right? Because you can sort of negotiate the salary after that. Um, But yeah, any thoughts on just the trade deadline? Well, again, we can keep it short. Obviously, Katie to the Suns is the biggest news, Kyrie to the Mavs, and then the Clippers, you know, did a lot of things too. Mason Plumlee, Eric Gordon, Bones Highland. I mean, the West, my biggest takeaway is the West got tougher. I mean, it was uh, a mid-house party (laughs) for a little bit here. And the Lakers, I think, in a vacuum in terms of what they did, given the context of their team, probably were one of the top two winners along with the Suns. But in terms of like the haul that the Suns gave up, it could be debatable. But yeah, any thoughts on this crazy-ass trade deadline?
1: It was crazy ass trade deadline. Um, It was like probably the craziest (laughs) ass trade deadline I've ever seen. I think the it felt like free agency, right? Like,
0: didn't it feel like the starting of free agency? agency, Yeah,
1: yeah, it did. And and that's what I was thinking, like, I don't know that there has ever been in our lifetimes. I mean, maybe I can't remember a trade from like the late '90s when I started watching basketball, but a trade deadline trade that was as massive as the KD trade that sort of came out of nowhere also, you know? So I, I think it, it is interesting because the people who were saying there were no sellers, I think were generally right. The only seller ended up, surprise seller ended up being Brooklyn. And that was a total surprise. Everybody else ended up sort of holding on or making lateral moves that, you know, are were sort of arguably improving their teams. I mean, you had like maybe some obvious sellers, like you saw Eric Gordon move and you saw like, Plumley move from Charlotte and stuff like that but I, I just think like overall it's it's interesting because you sort of see the divide between the teams who are like we're going for it and the teams who are like we don't really care if we make it and the teams who you know are sort of don't really know what they're doing uh, Minnesota so you mm-hmm. know it's like it it's like kind of interesting how everybody fit into these buckets. Like the jazz clearly don't care if they make the playoffs at this point. Um, even the thunder, you know, they, they traded Mike Muscala for like a pick, you know, and save some salary. I I don't really know what they got there. So um, it's just sort of like, it, it feels like, in a way, the Lakers have positioned themselves really nicely here, um, but we'll just yeah. have to see, I guess. I, I, the one concern you have is, is there enough time to salvage this?
0: Yeah, that is a very valid concern, especially given the fact that LeBron James isn't going to play tonight against the Bucks. We're obviously recording this before the Bucs game, so likely going to be 25-31. and 31. But the Lakers have done themselves enough justice in terms of, or done themselves the favor of you know, changing the dynamic so... What's the word? They've done it at such a huge extent that there's going to be new energy. You know what I mean? All these players are going to be galvanized to want to make this run together even if the cohesion isn't there yet. And I think the high emotions, the excitement is going to carry us through that initial awkward acclimation period. And it also helps that D'Lo, Beasley, Vanderbilt have all played together, you know? Like they have that cohesion yeah. with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh Beasley and Vando played together with the Utah Jazz after the Timberwolves trade uh, in the offseason. So we'll they'll at least have that cohesion to cling on to. And actually, Beasley may have played with Davon Reed in Denver as well. Anyways, that's not that's not a big deal. Anyways, yeah. Um <laughs> it's gonna be interesting Dave-on to Reed see season. how this Dave Reed season. We laugh right now, but this guy could be our Trevor Ariza, Tommy. We're like, nobody's talking about him. And all of a sudden like, That's oh shit, true. this guy has a seven foot one wingspan as a six foot five player. That's insane. As a six <laughs> foot five tall player. Um, okay, let's go through the actual player breakdowns. We've already said a little bit here and there of our thoughts of, you know, the player profiles. I want to sprinkle in this added component of player archetypes and player comps uh, based off of you know, previous teams that we've seen where so-and-so players succeeded on a championship-level team, and could we see any of these new players filling in that championship-level or playoff-level role for this Anthony Davis-LeBron James-led team? Let's start with D'Angelo Russell because I have a player comp that... And this I, I want to make things clear. It's not a player comp in terms of apples-to-apples skill set, but more role. And so I have a player comp for D'Angelo Russell that I think is very apt. And it's with a player that previously played with LeBron James. And they made it to the playoffs. They made it to the finals. But this is the sort of role that I want to see D'Angelo Russell sort of fulfill. Can you sort of guess which player I'm talking about?
1: Uh, I'm not sure.
0: He was on the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron.
1: Um...
0: You can say give up. You can say uncle. Uncle P. Uncle P. Okay. So I would like to see D'Angelo Russell in the Mo Williams role.
1: Oh, Mo Williams, dude. That was a deep callback. I was like, where are you going? That was a this? deep cut, baby. But they,
0: they made it to the finals. Like, Mo will was an all-star next to LeBron James, and he was, uh, you know, he handled the ball some, but mostly he was there to space the floor. You know what I mean? And again, D'Angelo Russell is likely just a rental, but in terms of, like... This season he is shooting career highs from every level on the floor. Like 46% from the field, 39% from 3, hitting 2.7 a game, 18 points, 6 assists. He's on a an extreme hot streak in the month of January into February and He is one of the biggest reasons why the Minnesota Timberwolves have stayed afloat in this race without Karl-Anthony Towns, who has been out for like the last two months, you know? So to bring him back and to have him play next to Anthony Davis and LeBron James, who, by the way, when he was like a rookie or sophomore, he said that his dream scenario of teammates was playing with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So just another one of those like poetic symmetry things. I don't know man it could be really good especially if he buys into that Mo Will role which it seems like he kind of already did alongside Anthony Edwards where he kind of just passed the torch to Anthony Edwards and was like yeah you take most of the usage and I'll eat up whatever's left and in the meantime I'll just hit these outside shots now D'Angelo Russell is still the erratic player that we know he's still bad on defense but in terms of the changing the geometry of the court it's going to be amazing so your thoughts on D'Lo if you have anything else to add and if you like my Mo Will comp
1: I, I do like the mobile comp, actually. But, like, I mean, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but the thing that makes me the most excited about the D'Lo acquisition, other than seeing, like, how his game has developed since we traded him five years ago or whatever, um, six years ago, he... He is averaging the second fewest field goal attempts of his career. So I have, like, less fear mm-hmm. that, like, he's going to transition here and have, like, an issue with usage and, oh, he's not getting, like, his attempts. Like this dude's averaging like less shots than Russell Westbrook was taking for us most nights. Right. <laughs> so like you much rather, you would much rather have Delo with his high efficiency, you know, taking 13 shots a game and, you know, including seven of those being from three, than you would have Russ like taking whatever he was taking, not to mention like missing free throws. I mean, Russ literally was averaging 14 shots a game for us. So he was averaging more shot attempts per game than Delo is averaging currently for the Timberwolves. So that makes me pretty optimistic about the transition. This guy has been averaging like in the high twos and threes, three point makes per game, like for the bulk of his career, since, you know, he was traded away from, um, from us originally. I mean, he shoots mid eighties from the free throw line. He's not known for his defense, but he still uses length to get some steals. Um, he, I feel like he, he does have his erratic play, but, if I'm going to take turnovers, I'm going to take like the Delo style turnovers as opposed to yes. like the Russell Westbrook. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like Delos are usually like, he was going for like a very difficult to make pass. Whereas Russell Westbrook is just like out, out of, of bounds to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> yeah. It's like 75% of his turnovers are just like, he threw the wall like 10 feet too high or like, you know, was just going way too fast and just dropped it out of bounds. Like, you know, it, you know, turnovers that lead directly to points on the other side. But I, I just think D'Angelo brings so much to the table. And the fact that we have sort of flexibility to decide what we're going to do with him in the future is is also very intriguing to me.
0: Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's pick up the pace. Moving on to Malik Beasley. Uh, so for me, I kind of see Malik Beasley as a prime Wes Matthews on offense uh, during Wes Matthews prime before the Achilles when he was averaging like 17 to 20 points, except Malik Beasley has sort of transitioned into this microwave scorer off the bench, and he's fulfilled that role really well with the Denver Nuggets and then the Utah Jazz, and I think he's shooting, like, 40% from three, hitting 3.5 a game this year. Just something ridiculous like that. Now, his field goal percentage is bad. It's, like, 39%, but I think that's because, like, 80% of his shots is just purely three-point shots, you know? And that shot diet is totally fine for me. We finally have our professional, legit shooter that this team so desperately needed. And he has that chemistry with D'Angelo Russell already. And so, yeah. And the other thing about my, uh, Malik Beasley, I was gonna say Michael Beasley, um, is the fact that coming out of college, he was actually more seen as one of these, you know, he never lived up to it, but one of these like Donovan Mitchell type shooting guards who was athletic. He he can dunk. I mean, he's he's very athletic, actually. It's just, he's morphed into just a a three-point shooter so in that respect he also kind of reminds me of like a later stage OJ Mayo there's a deep cut for you um so but I see him fulfilling that sort of you know Wes Matthews on offense role I don't think he's a defender I think he gambles too much but he at least has the athleticism he has the size and most of all he is a legit three-point shooter so your quick thoughts on Malik Beasley.
1: Yeah, the volume three point shooting is just going to be like incredible. I mean, to couple him with D'Angelo, those two combined are averaging over 15, I think close to 16 three point attempts per game. And the Lakers as a team were averaging 33 point attempts per game, like going into this trade deadline. So the fact that he shoots at such a high volume, he's a career 38% shooter from three, he hits his free throws. I mean, he's Proven year after year on multiple teams that he can score the ball, you know, going from Denver to Minnesota, having some, you know, big games with Minnesota um, and then even, you know, continuing it in Utah with sort of an uneven, you know, minutes distribution going on with the talent they had there. So it I'm pretty excited for Beasley and it's like kind of a nice flyer on him in a way to see like he's do a Decent amount next year, 16 and a half million. Mm-hmm. So, this is going to be a nice little stretch to see does he have the same synergies with LeBron that, like, we saw from Malik Monk, or is it just not going to work out? And then you can kind of get out of this contract pretty easily if you need to.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, and then Vanderbilt, this guy might be like my unsung hero of this deal, and the one that the Lakers, let's say, if they make a bigger trade, or they renounce people, don't pick up people's options. Vando may be the one guy that they actually take on into the future, and I don't know. He might be stealing Rui Hachimura's thunder a little bit just because he's so hot right now, Tommy. He's the hot young guy everybody's talking about. Vanderbilt, Jared Vanderbilt. So, And by the way, feel free to throw in any comps that come to your mind as well. But for me, looking at Vanderbilt's kind of physique and frame, he actually reminds me of a sturdier, better rebounding Jalen McDaniels without a three-point shot. You know, everybody's been talking about Jalen McDaniels, Jaden McDaniels, how they like their versatility, their length, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But Vando looks like them in terms of physique. But in terms of, like, his motor, his mobility on the perimeter, his ability to go into the paint, scramble, and then close out to a perimeter shooter. Like, he is the one guy that you can use on defense to switch on everybody, pretty much, you know? And the funny thing about him is, coming out of college, there he had a loose Julius Randle comp, which obviously that's not apt anymore, but where that came from was the fact that Vanderbilt can actually handle the ball, and he can play make a little bit. And you see him, like, defend perimeter guards, he'll block the shot, he'll grab the rebound, and he'll just take it himself down the court in a much more fluider way and more confident way than Rui Hachimura and actually make a play, whether it's to finish it himself or pass it off to another teammate or make the right read. So I would advise you guys to look at Jared Vanderbilt's playmaking because that just makes him all the more versatile and then as opposed to Rui Hachimura and I don't necessarily want to pit them against each other but his motor is just different dude he averages like eight rebounds a game um and just defensively he's locked in he's that guy who's going to give us that burst of energy whenever guys are looking lethargic on the floor you know like this is Wenyan Gabriel amped up on steroids doing coke etc etc you know what I mean um (laughs) cocaine (laughs) I Yeah, exactly. So he kind of fits into that Brandon Clark school of utility tweener that, you know, we love.
1: So Jalen McDaniels without the three point shot, but your thoughts on Jared Vanderbilt? Yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely have to watch more Jared Vanderbilt tape because I certainly like people have been talking about this guy basically since the jazz acquired him in that Rudy Gobert trade. And immediately he became like a hot name, you know, as like a, not only as a guy who was like you know people were surprised and disappointed to see included in the trade but like somebody that Utah at first seemed like was a really valuable get i mean he averaged 7 and 8 um last year for the for the timberwolves um and that was starting next to town so it, it i've seen the defensive clips i'm like kind of intrigued how he, you know we're going to use him there i think the interesting thing is what happens offensively now i do think that they address this to some extent by getting mo Bamba. um i don't know though like and and maybe we use this to as a chance to like blend with i don't know if you're gonna go to mo Bamba next but if if i could just pull mo Bamba in here like i don't know like what we're planning or what you think we're planning to do with respect to mo Bamba. like is he actually just gonna jump in and be our primary backup center if so then the Vanderbilt move to me looks even better because I feel like Vanderbilt is going to be at his best, like defending bigger wings, um, playing at the four and three, and being able to, you know, defend those types of players as opposed to being your backup 6'9 center. Like, I hope that we recognize that that's sort of his role. And I hope that that was a, maybe a motivation in the Bomba acquisition because now you kind of look at that bench lineup. You have Vanderbilt on the floor, but you also have Beasley. You also have uh Mobamba. You also have, um, you know, Troy and Lonnie and Austin. And there's going to be, like, people who can make a perimeter shot. And that's, like, going to be really exciting to see how that works. Because um, we have not had that in yeah. a long time.
0: No, we have not. And to just show you some of Vanderbilt's best games this season... He had an 18.14 rebound, 6 assist, 1 steal, 1 block on 8 of 9 from the field game, Tommy. On 20, in 22 minutes. Then he also had an 18.13 rebound, 6 assist, 2 steal game, hitting 2 of 4 from 3 in 32 minutes. He had a 16.7 rebound, 4 assist, 2 steal game, in 31 minutes where he hit four of four from three. Now, I'm not saying he has the three-point shooting profile. I've learned this mistake with Damian Jones, but just the fact that it's out there, I mean, look, it's not a fluke if you can hit four threes in a game, I don't think. So there's something lingering there. I don't think they'll, you know, bank on trying to mine that aspect of his, but the word you use with Jared Vanderbilt is ultimate versatility, and I think to answer your question about where he'll be used as I wait for this plane to pass or whatever... um, (laughs) Yeah, I think in terms of where he'll be used, it, it it's going to be exactly what you said, guarding bigger wings and commandeering the uh, perimeter, especially because Patrick Beverly's not there anymore to harass like ball handlers and stuff. Um, Vanderbilt can be that guy, you know, and he can be this guy who switches on to everybody. Um, dude, the, the way this guy fights over screens and stuff, this dude does not give up. I, like I said, it's like... Wenyan Gabriel on steroids, and I think Wenyan Gabriel is going to be his emergency backup. Wenyan may also play some backup five. But yeah, I love the Vando signing. We can transition into Mo Bamba, who... I mean, we were talking about this guy all last year when it came to, like, THT trade proposals, or even as a mid-level signing this summer. We even had him in some Russell Westbrook scenarios, but the fact that we got him for Pat Bev and a second, and the fact that we reduced our guard glut even more and took that out of darvin ham's hands to sort of fumble is amazing um because losing thomas Bryant was a big deal in terms of losing the motor but mo bamba i mean you showed me his rim protection stats and granted look i want to say mo bamba has sucked this year he's been bad i know this from a fantasy perspective and i know this from a real life perspective he had more of a career like a lot of
1: volume i will say
0: yeah he like very small sample size he hasn't gotten a lot of minutes this year. last year he had a career year when it came to like shooting from three point land. he was like shooting thirty eight percent on a low volume. you know um but when he got more time last year, he was actually showing out better and most of all like dude, like this guy's gonna play fifteen minutes, right and in terms yeah. of being Thomas Bryant's replacement, what a huge upside flyer replacement to get seven foot ten wingspan. I don't think we've ever had a guy who has a seven foot ten wingspan. His stretching abilities obviously will be interesting to see alongside Anthony Davis. He is slow-footed, he can get pushed around, but I think when you have a 7 foot-10 wingspan, you just kind of park him in the lane, you know, around the basket, and he will deter shots. Um, he does not have the same motor as Thomas Bryant has, which is disappointing. But again, his arms can stretch from baseline to baseline, essentially. So it's kind of mitigate, his slow-footedness is mitigated a little bit. But yeah, your thoughts on the Mobamba flyer signing. Or no, flyer trade, sorry.
1: I'm actually, I don't know why, maybe I'm naive. Um, I'm pretty excited about this one. I think one thing that makes me a little more excited too is knowing that he was one of our top targets for the MLE going into the summer. Obviously, the Magic ended up paying him more than, that, than the uh, MLE. So... We wouldn't have had a shot at him anyway, but to know that he was on our radar and then to just use Pat Bev, who again we weren't going to keep beyond this season, plus a second round pick, clear out the glut guard glut of guards, um, you know, sort of give yourself a big a spacing big option, who's like a little bit more reliable seeming than Thomas Bryant. I mean, Mo Bamba on four attempts last year from three was hitting 38%. He's hitting 40% this year. He's only taking three attempts, but that's because his overall shots have fallen. Last year, he was attempting nine field goals a game and he's only attempting five this year. So it's like a pretty drastic drop in, in, in attempts. Um, I haven't watched the magic. I, you know, I have no reason to watch the magic. All I can say is Alex Regla has been posting some stats about Mo Bamba, advanced stats about Mo Bamba and, it seems like he does a pretty good job, um, you know, pretty good job of defending the rim. So if he can do a little bit of that, like you said, he's going to be playing maybe not even 15 minutes. I mean, maybe they try to put play him with AD a little bit just to give that lineup a look, um, because that maybe could work and be kind of interesting, but probably is going to be playing like in the, you know, 12 to 14 minute range. Um, and what, you know, what can he do in that time? I think it's going to be pretty exciting to see maybe his spacing ability with, with the bench unit.
0: Yeah, and again, a perfect flyer to take. He's on a $10 million non-guaranteed contract into the summer. Another useful trade piece. I mean, Tommy, we just have all these guys other teams can use if if we don't use them, you know, for the long term. It's crazy. So, you know, there's so much to talk about, but we're going to cut it here. We'll do like a part two thing that you can listen to later, but this has gone long enough. I just want to like make the editing easier for myself, but this will do it for part one of our thoughts on the trade deadline and the Lakers acquisitions. Um, Tommy, I just feel such like a renewed spirit and energy about being a Lakers fan. Are you are you feeling that as well? And, you know, it doesn't totally take away our apprehensions with the front office and the people up top. But in terms of like the progress <laughs> and how promising things look, regardless of where we stand at the end of this season, like I don't think I've had this much of a second win boost um, as a Lakers fan since We traded for Anthony Davis. What about you?
1: Yeah, I'm definitely excited. I'm optimistic about this last stretch here. I mean, it's unfortunate because we play the Bucks tonight and it's a scheduled loss because none of these guys are playing and LeBron also just, it was announced that he's going to sit out too. Um, So that is a scheduled loss. Uh, Hopefully they don't run AD into the ground trying to like pull this one out. Hopefully they just rest him too. But yeah, I'm optimistic moving forward. I'm actually like, now that we're talking about this, I'm like, do we have enough people to feel the team tonight? Because <laughs> Mo tonight is you out. Mean, yeah. Yeah, Mo Bamba is out. Uh, let's see, who else is out? LeBron is out. Yeah, dude, do we even have enough? I mean, enough- regardless, I mean, like seven it's, it's, guys. A, it's a punt game, you know? It's, <laughs> yeah. But regardless,
0: we're, it, it's crazy that we can have a punt game, a scheduled loss, and be this hopeful for the future with the lakers in this season alone but also next season as well so we will catch you guys next time more thoughts on the trade deadline and stuff in the next one and yeah dude it's lit tommy i will catch you later
1: peace see ya